We're going to look at verses 1 through 15 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at a section of 2 Corinthians that deals with giving. Chapters 8 and 9, Paul addresses a need that had developed in the church there in Jerusalem. And the church there in Jerusalem was a very poor church. And this probably resulted from the fact that that church kind of happened overnight. You remember in Acts chapter 2, the the people were there celebrating uh, the day of Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost. And that would mean that there were hundreds of thousands of Jews from all over the world that would be in Jerusalem. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit poured out uh, in such a powerful way that day, many got saved and they just decided that they would live there in Jerusalem and that they would just reside there. And because of that, they didn't have jobs, many of them. They didn't have uh, places to live. They didn't have, you know, connection with family and friends. And so it was a very difficult kind of a situation that had developed there and they were very impoverished. And so Paul is now making this need known to the early uh, church there in Corinth, this new church that had um, been planted by Paul and that Paul had, you know, poured himself into. He's saying, look, I've given you so much now, I'm wanting you to give to the need there in Jerusalem. He's encouraging them to come alongside of this. And Paul saw this as an opportunity to meet a real need. That is the purpose of giving, is to meet real needs. And that's what Paul was bringing to them. This wasn't some uh, phony kind of uh, a setup here where, you know, Paul's talking about some uh, big, you know, uh, 747 that he wants to buy for himself or, you know, some fancy car or some big house. You know, this is a real need that Paul has. And that the church in Jerusalem had. Paul also saw it as a chance for the young Christians there in Corinth to demonstrate their faith. To put their faith into action. To put their money where their mouth was, if you will. And it was also a means of drawing these two churches together. Because there was some division between the Jewish church and the Gentile church. The Jewish church there in Jerusalem. Uh, that had come to know Christ, but they had that Jewish background, and they kind of thought of themselves as superior. You know, they they thought, yeah, we've got the whole package. You know, we're we're Jews. We've we've got that that history behind us. We've got that pedigree, but we're also Christians. We're also followers of Christ. So you know, we've got the whole package here. Gentiles, you know, they're fine. That's great. They love Jesus, but you know, we're kind of better, and you know that kind of superiority happens in the church today as well. We have it in our nature to kind of think whatever we're associated with is is kind of the best thing. You know, yeah, Calvary Chapel, that's where I go and and you know, we teach through the Bible and so you know, we're you know, we have great worship and you know, so we're just kind of we think we're superior than than other people. We you know, we look down maybe on other groups and that happens in any group. If you go to this church or that church, everybody kind of has that same sort of mindset that, 
you know, we're just a little better with the way we do it. It's because you like it that way. And obviously you are sort of leaning to that, and so you like that, and, and then that gives you this kind of superiority type of thing, and that's not pleasing to the heart of God. And that's what was happening in the church in Jerusalem. They kind of got this idea that we're better. And Paul said, look, this is a great way for the Gentile believers to show the Jewish believers that their heart is toward them. Even though they've kind of, you know, looked down on them and even though they've not always talked highly of them, here's a great way for you to demonstrate the love of Christ to them. And I will say this to kind of preface this study and giving that will, you know, encompass a couple chapters of 2 Corinthians. And that is, is that we don't talk about money here at Calvary Chapel a whole lot. If you've been going here for any length of time, uh, you may have never heard me talk about money. Or if you have, maybe one or two times. It's something that we only talk about when it comes up in the Word. We, we don't look at the budget and go, wow. You know, we needed to be here and we're only here uh, for the year. So we better, you know, do an eight week study on giving to, you know, kind of grease the wheel a little bit. We don't do things like that here. We don't decide what we're going to talk about based on what's going on in the life of the church. We teach through the Bible. And so when we get to topics that are, you know, sometimes controversial, then we deal with those. And when we get to topics that. You know, I probably wouldn't necessarily want to talk about if I had a choice. We deal with this. And when we get to money, we deal with money. And when we get to giving, we deal with giving. So I want to let you know if this is your first time here, we don't talk about this a lot. It's not an emphasis of our ministry. It's not something we, we focus on. But in Second Corinthians, the focus of that book is has been ministry and giving you guys is at the very heart of ministry ministry is all about giving it's sad that when a ministry becomes all about talking about giving instead of all about giving see it's sad when ministry becomes all about talking about you giving the ministry money that's not ministry but ministry at its very heart is giving. It's giving of your time. It's giving of your treasures. It's giving of your talents. That's ministry. As Paul would say, giving for the sake of others. You can't have ministry without giving. And as Christians, giving is a part of who we are. It's a natural byproduct of coming to Christ. In fact, in Luke chapter 19, you remember the story of Zacchaeus. Remember the wee little man, tax collector, climbed up in the sycamore tree? And Jesus said, come down from there, Zacchaeus. We're going to have a meal together. And they went to Zacchaeus' house. I love the fact that Jesus just invited himself over there. You know, we're going to have a meal together. Why don't you go ahead and cook? And I'll wait. They go to his house and Zacchaeus you know, feeds Jesus. And, and it says that, that Zacchaeus began to share with Jesus that he wanted to give half of his money to the poor. And that if he had wronged anyone, 
financially, if he had cheated anyone out of money, he would restore it to them fourfold. Now you have to remember Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And tax collectors at that time weren't like they are now. Now they're, you know, held accountable and, you know, they can't just come out to your house and, you know, take money and then put it in their pockets and walk off, you know, but that's how they did it then. They would be required to collect a certain amount of money, but anything they could collect above and beyond that would be theirs to keep. So, you know, if it doesn't take a genius to figure out, well, man, I'm just going to collect more than what you really need to pay and I'll keep the difference. And that's what they would do. And so Zacchaeus began to be convicted about that. And he said, look, I'm going to give half of what I have, which he was a very rich man. Tax collectors at that time were very rich. They were hated. They were crooks, but they were very wealthy. And he said, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, which he cheated a lot of people, I'm going to restore fourfold. And Jesus said, truly salvation has come to this house today. Why is that? Is it because that he was willing to give? No, that wasn't what brought him salvation, but it demonstrated that he was changed. The opposite is true with the rich young ruler. You remember, he came to Jesus and he said, I want to be a follower. I want to follow after you, Jesus. And Jesus said, well, keep this commandment and this commandment and this commandment. And he said, I've kept those since my youth. And Jesus said, well, then sell all you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And he went away sorrowful because he had great riches. In other words, those riches were the thing that was keeping him from coming to the Lord. That's why Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get saved. Because riches grab your heart. They pull at your heart. They dictate your life. The root of all evil, the Bible says, is the love of money. It's very difficult for someone who has a lot of money to come to the Lord because they've been trusting in those riches their entire life. And so what I'm saying to you is not that giving is what gives us salvation, but that giving and salvation are very closely linked. They demonstrate where your heart is with the Lord. If you are a giving person, it shows that God is, is doing a work in your heart. But if you're a stingy person, if you're a person that doesn't want to give to things of God, if you're a person that doesn't want to support ministry, and give to the kingdom, it kind of shows that there's an area of your life that you're not giving over to the Lord. It kind of shows that maybe your life isn't completely surrendered to God. And as believers, you guys, giving is just a natural byproduct of who we are. And I want us to take a look at three things in our text this morning. We're going to see three things about Christian giving in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. First of all, we're going to see the motivation for Christian giving. Secondly, we're going to see some examples of Christian giving. And then thirdly, we're going to see some basic instructions on Christian giving. 
Let's read our text and then we'll go back and we'll talk about those things. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to do, to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be an equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over. And he who gathered little had no lack. And so the first thing that we want to talk about is the motivation for giving. And it's found there in verse one. And that is the grace of God. He says, moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God. That's the motivation for giving. Should be the only motive is the grace of God. This word grace is charis. It's used eight times in chapters eight and nine. And it's used interchangeably with giving and gift and grace. In other words, because of the great grace that Jesus gave to us, grace is getting something that you don't deserve. Jesus on the cross gave us eternal life. We didn't deserve it, but He gave it to us. And because of that great grace, we are to respond in grace, by giving to others, by giving of what God has given us to help with the needs of others. That's the key here. The grace of God should be our only motive. There are several false motives that people use to get people to give and that people use as a reason why they give. People will put pressure. Churches will often put pressure on people to give. You know, they'll, they'll talk about how 
poorly the church is doing financially all the time. And, you know, it's up on the screen and it's in the bulletin. And, you know, yeah, at this point last year we had raised this much, but we've only got this much this year. You know, we we need this much for new carpet and, you know, the remodel of the building or for the new building project. And, you know, you've got the... Um, you know, thermometer, and it's got the, the red line, you know, to tell you where you're at and all this stuff. And it's just pressure, pressure, pressure for the churches that, you know, pass the plate one time at the beginning of the service, and, and then at the end of the service, they realize it wasn't enough, so they pass it again. You know, hey, give until it hurts. We didn't get enough this morning. You know, we don't want to see dollars in there. We want to see hundreds, you know. I've heard of churches locking the doors until they raised enough to meet a particular goal. I mean, there's a lot of pressure. You know, we, we just have boxes in the back, and, and I've got no problem with um, with passing a plate. or You know, but I think if you are going to pass a plate, it, it, it ought to be like a basket that nobody can really see what you're putting in there. Because that's sort of a motivation to give. That's why they use the plates. Is so that, hey, my you'll see the guy next to you, he just put in a hundred. I mean I can't put in a five. It's kind of embarrassing. And so they give you to give get you to give more. And it's pressure and and it's false motives. Somebody's telling you what to do instead of it being a choice, the decision of your heart. People give for the tax write-off. And, you know, hey, it's great. The government gives us a tax write-off for charitable giving, but that ought not be our motive. To be noticed, to impress people. I remember the Pharisees, they, they were all about people noticing them. They would draw attention to themselves as they were putting money in the offering. You know, it would be like, hey, look at me. I'm, I'm about to put a lot of money in here. Are, are you watching? You know, ring the bells, you know. Hey, you're not looking at me. Look at this. That should never be a motive for people to notice, for people to know. We should never give to gain favor with God either. These people that will mail checks into the church, they have no intention of going to church. They have no intention of, you know, fellowshipping with God or Walking with Jesus, they don't read their Bibles, they don't pray, they don't share the Lord. But they'll mail in a check to a church, maybe the church they grew up in or a church similar to that, you know, and it's kind of a religious duty of theirs. In fact, in in Germany, you, uh, I don't know if they still do this today, but I, I know they did for, for many, many years. Um, you know, what, when you're born, you would say you're either a uh, Lutheran or um, that you belonged to the, you know, the Orthodox uh, church in, in Germany. And then that would be who you would give a certain portion of your money to for the rest of your life, whether you ever went there or not. And it was just sort of gaining favor with God. And that should never be a motive. We have favor with God because of the cross. And our giving is a byproduct. It's an outflow of that. So that's the motivation for giving is God's grace. What he's done for you. 
Let's talk about some examples here of Christian giving. Paul gives us two really good examples. One human and the other divine. Look at verse 2. Actually, the end of verse 1, he says, Bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and the deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. And so, Paul is talking about the church there in Macedonia, using them as an example to the church there in Corinth. Saying, look, this church here in Macedonia is a great example to you guys of what it means to be a giver. In fact, he gives about three or four things that they could learn from the church in Macedonia and that we could learn from them as to how to give. First of all, he says they gave out of their poverty. That it was in a great trial of affliction and in their deep poverty that they abounded in the riches of their liberality. This church in Macedonia was an impoverished church as well. These people weren't uh, rich. They were very poor. And yet they gave to the Lord out of their poverty. And sometimes I think we have this notion that, well, I'll give to the Lord when I have money. But the thing is, is that that shows that you're not trusting the Lord. And so God will not give money to those that don't trust Him in the first place. God gives and blesses us financially when He knows that we can be trusted with those things. And if we're holding on to what we have, and if we don't trust Him with the little that we have, why would we think He's going to give us more? Giving is something that we do whether we have a lot or whether we have a little. Out of their poverty. You remember the, the widow. The widow who gave her mites. And it was the equivalent of about a penny. And the Pharisees were there and they were giving their offerings and they were calling attention to themselves. And it was a lot of money that they would give. Huge amounts of money. And everybody would be so impressed. And then here comes this widow and nobody's paying attention to her except for Jesus. And Jesus said, she's the one I want you to notice. Forget about all these rich guys that are giving out of their abundance. I want you to notice this widow who can barely rub two nickels together. And yet she's giving out of her poverty. She's giving out of the little that she has. That pleases the heart of God. It's not the amount. It's the heart behind it. And this church here in Macedonia was giving out of their poverty. They also gave joyfully. As we see there in verse 2, it was with abundance of joy. A lot of times people give, but they give grudgingly. And Paul addresses that in chapter 9. That God loves a cheerful giver. You know, and God doesn't need our money. Sometimes I think that that pastors and, and people that are sort of eliciting your gifts, they make it seem as if God's broke. Like, if you don't give to the Lord, I mean, He's going out of business. He's going to, you know, 
have a foreclosure. God's not going out of business anytime soon. He doesn't need our money. But God desires that we would be a part of what He's doing. And what a great way that we can partner with the Lord. God God also knows how important money is to us. And so, it's an expression of our devotion to God. It's part of our worship. Is giving. If we say that our lives belong to the Lord, then the things that are most important to us ought to be dedicated to Him. Our children, our money, our careers, our goals. They ought to be dedicated to the Lord. Otherwise, He's really not that important to us. I mean, anybody can give something that isn't that important to them, right? Anybody can get rid of that. I mean, we all take truckloads over to the thrift store and we're glad to get rid of it. It's not important to us. It's not a sacrifice. I remember one time in Bend, when Andrew and I lived in Bend, I I drove around for like three hours trying to find a thrift store that would take my stuff. And none of them would take it. Finally, I just threw it over one of their fences. I was like, this is good stuff. You'll want it. Just take it. You know, I think you can get arrested for that kind of thing. But, you know, that's not a sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice to get rid of your stuff at a garage sale. And then take it all to the thrift store anyway, you know. It's not a sacrifice. What a sacrifice is, is getting rid of things that really mean a lot to you. And, and have a place in your heart. And we ought to do it with joy. Not begrudgingly, not, well, I guess, you know, gosh. You know, write the check out, you know. That, that is not what God wants. God would just say, hey, you go ahead and hang on to that. Until your heart is right, you hang on to that. I don't need that. They gave freely, it says. There at the end of verse 3, they were freely willing. It wasn't by constraint. It wasn't like, you know, they had to send in a, a, a report of their income to the church. You know, I've heard of churches that know how much you make and, and then they deduct your income. This kind of thing is crazy. It's freely willing. It's out of the overflow of your heart. And here's the thing is that they saw the importance of giving. Verse 4. It says that they implored Paul with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of ministering to the saints. They were begging Paul to be a part of this. See, I think what happened was that Paul realized the church in Macedonia didn't have a lot, so he really didn't ask the church in Macedonia to give to this need in Jerusalem. He realized that they were poor and that they didn't have a lot, so he didn't want to include them in it. And they were like, hey, Paul, we want to be a part of this. We heard about this need and that you're collecting for the church in Jerusalem. We want to help. Well, you guys are broke. I mean, I know you guys are struggling. We don't care. We want to give. They were begging Paul to be a part of it. 
That is how our hearts should be. Understanding the importance of giving so much so that we're looking for opportunities. We don't have to have our arms twisted. We don't have to have, you know, reminders sent to us. That's why I don't do a lot of that. That's why we don't make a big deal out of it. Because I wouldn't want you to give simply because you feel pressured to. Now, yeah, you need to know about opportunities, and we make those known, and we'll put them in the bulletin, but that's about as far as it goes. And you have the choice at that point. You know where the offering boxes are. You know the church has needs. You know that this ministry doesn't operate with nothing. You know that there's money that is needed. But I don't need to hit you over the head with that every time you walk through the doors. That's not ministry. But you know that that's there. You know that that's a part of walking with the Lord. It's part of our worship. But it ought to to be freely. It ought to be joyfully. It ought to be out of a heart that just wants to give back to the Lord. And where it all starts is found in verse 5. And that is, is that first we give ourselves to the Lord. See, not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. That's the key. When your life, you guys, is dedicated to God then giving Him money is not going to be difficult. Giving Him those things that are most important to you will not be difficult. But if your life isn't dedicated to the Lord, then you're going to be hanging on to that for dear life. And so it really is a demonstration of where you're at with the Lord. If you're very tight-fisted, if you don't have a generous heart, It kind of shows you that your life is not dedicated to Jesus. That there's other things that are crowding him out. There's other things that are more important to you. And so the Macedonians were a great example of Christian giving. But then we have the ultimate example, and that's found in verse 9, and that's Jesus. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus was and is the ultimate giver. He was rich beyond anything we can imagine. Not here on this earth, but in heaven. The Bible says that he set all of that aside to clothe himself with poverty, with humanity. Take on human flesh, and then take up a cross, give up everything for us. He became poor so that we might become rich. And as followers of Christ, that's what we are as Christians. I mean, that term is used very loosely in our society. I remember growing up, before I got saved, I was probably eight, nine years old, I asked my mom, Mom, what religion are we? You know, learn about religions in school and What religion are we? We're Christians. Why? Because we're Americans. I don't know. I just I remember that. I remember thinking, okay, that's what we are. We're Christians. But what does it mean? Terms just thrown out there. You know, yeah, I'm a Christian. What it means is that you're a follower of Jesus. 
And as a follower of Jesus, that means we do what he did. That means we say what he said. That means we act the way he acted. It means we love the things that he loved. We hate the things that he hated. That's what it means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ. And Jesus was a giver. Jesus gave of his time. Jesus gave of his talents. Jesus gave of his treasures. He set aside everything he had for us. And now our giving, you guys, is simply a response to that. Our giving is just an outflow of what Jesus has already done for us. Let's look at some instructions on Christian giving. First of all, in verse 7. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. The first instruction is that Christian is that as a Christian, giving is very basic to who you are as a Christian. It's a very basic part of who you are. It's part of who you are. It's part of being a follower of Christ. He says that add to your love and your faith and your diligence this idea of giving. In other words, it's just part and parcel. It goes along with all of the other things that it means to be a Christian that you're growing in. Then Paul talks about proportionate giving. Verses 10 through 12. He says, and in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it. That is, there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. See, what happened was, Paul had made the need known to the church at Corinth a year previous to this. But then they had all those problems in the church. And all the stuff that we've been talking about week after week, and all these divisions and these false teachers that had come into the church, and these issues that had divided the church from Paul, they had come in and Paul had been dealing with those for a year. And now he's saying, okay, we've kind of dealt with those. What about the gift to the church in Jerusalem? Let's not forget about that. Yeah, we had some problems, but let's, let's not throw that out. We're still going to do that. Are you guys still willing to, to come along with me on that? And he said, you had a desire to do it a year ago, but the desire isn't good enough. Now you need to act on it. And I think there's a key instruction in that for us in that the desire isn't good enough. I think a lot of times we have a desire to give, but then we never follow through because we pay all our bills. You know, we we do all the things that we need to do with our money. And at the end of the day, we realize there's nothing left. And so... You know, it's kind of like, well, Lord, I, I wanted to give, but there's nothing left. It's kind of like the little girl that went to the store to get two Cokes for 
her and her brother. And on the way, she dropped one, and she got back to the house and said, Sorry, bro, I dropped your Coke. You know, that's kind of what we do with the Lord. It, it's not, I dropped my Coke, and here's yours. It's, you know, I dropped yours, and this is mine. And, Lord, I spent all your money. I'm sorry, but that isn't the way it should be at all. If the heart can be there, but we need to act on that as well. We can have a heart to, to give to people, but if we never act upon it, then that really is meaningless. Paul also talks about this idea of proportionate giving. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. And so, in other words, what Paul is saying is, look, maybe you committed to giving X amount a year ago. But things have changed. Now your financial situation is different. I understand that. He said, give what you can. It's not a matter of how much. It's your heart that's important. That's very important for us to realize that. That it isn't about the amount. It's purposing in your heart to give to the Lord. You see, we use the word tithe today, and it's even on our agape box back there, tithes and offerings. But the fact of the matter is, the tithe is not a New Testament principle. It's really a word we use today just to talk about Christian giving, you know, tithing to the Lord, and that's fine. But the word really is part of the Old Testament, in, in the rules and regulations that they were to follow. And it's it means the tenth. They were to give 10% of everything to the Lord. And it was the first fruits. It wasn't that they spent the 90 and then gave the 10. It was they would give 10. And then they had 90. And they gave in many, many other ways as well. But that was strictly dedicated to God. And so if you purpose in your heart to give 10%, that's a great place. But maybe it's five. Maybe it's 20. Maybe it's more. But whatever you've decided to give to the Lord, you need to purpose in your heart to give that to God and then give that to God before you spend it. Before you have opportunity to go and pay your bills and do the things you need to do. This is what is purposed. I'm going to give this to the Lord. I've purposed in my heart. And you decide that with your spouse. And you say, yeah, this is what we're going to do. There's no pressure. It's freely given. It's out of a joyful heart. And for some people, that's a lot of money. They, they have a lot and they can give a lot. For others, it's a little. But like the widow who gave very little, she was rewarded greatly because she gave out of her poverty. Because she gave out of the little that she had. So it's not about the amount. If you can only give a dollar, then you give a dollar to the Lord. And if you can give a lot, then we shouldn't be impressed with that. 
And so this is the idea of proportionate giving. It's proportionate to what you have. Purpose in your heart to give to God. To give to the things of the kingdom. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, the Bible says. Where's your treasure at? Storing up treasures on this earth is good for now. Might make you happy in the temporary. But eternally, you'll have nothing to show for it. The Bible says store up your treasures in heaven because they'll reap eternal rewards. Paul also talks about reciprocal giving. Verses 13 through 15. He says that I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. In other words, I'm not just trying to raise money so that they can live the good life and you'll be broke. There was a real need there. But by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack. And then that later, their abundance may supply your lack, that there may be an equality. In other words, the way it's supposed to work in the church is that if you're struggling, then those that have money at that time can help you. But then later, when you're doing well, you can help somebody that's struggling. And see, we get a lot of calls here at the church from people in the community. Maybe they need their, their power bill paid or they need food or they need clothes or they want to buy Christmas gifts and we get those calls and you know what we do is we just tell them to come to a service whatever the the closest service is if it's a Wednesday we tell them to come on a Wednesday if it's a Sunday we tell them to come on a Sunday and we say just hang out and you know we'll talk to you afterward and we'll find out what's going on we'll kind of get a, a sense of of where you're at and what's going on with you and and then I also like to share the gospel with them it's a great opportunity to do that and then you know we nine times out of ten we help them unless it's a case where you know they're on drugs or or something like that and so we're very willing to do that but i will say this is that really in the new testament giving was done within in other words the church supplied each other's needs it wasn't so much out into the community, although that's a good thing. And I think it's a great way to share the love of Christ, but it's done from within. And so if you have needs, don't be embarrassed about those. You know, you can make your needs known to the church. And, you know, we can try to, to raise funds for you or, or try to get that thing that you need. Or maybe you have more practical needs you need done around your house or something going on. We can help with that. And in the time you need help, you receive it. But then when you're able to give, you give. And that's the way it works. It's this reciprocating effect. And it's an awesome, beautiful thing in the church. That's the way it should be. It shouldn't be that, you know, only certain people give all the time. We should all be giving toward the Lord. We should have a heart to give. To give to missions. You know, we support missionaries here. 
If you give to the church, you're helping to support missions. You can support a gospel for Asia missionary for $30 a month. You know, or adopting a, a child from another country, a sponsor child through compassion or through the Bridge of Hope ministry or World Vision or something like that. You know, you, you can give your time to Oasis, going over there and helping feed the poor, giving your time here, serving at the church. Maybe you don't have a lot of money right now. And, and so you, you can give in other ways. You can give with, with your time and your talents. But we should be giving to the Lord. And, you know, I think it's important to support uh, the local church that you attend. I think it's very biblical. We don't talk about that a lot. We don't make it an emphasis. But, you know, the church has uh, needs. The church has, obviously, monthly expenses. And if you are, are interested ever in seeing the books, um, you know, we want to be accountable. And, and those things are available to you. Uh, we have a, a sheet that we're going to be making available that just kind of have a, a real synopsis of kind of where the money goes on a monthly basis and, and, and what we bring in. And if you'd like to see that, you can talk to Julie about that. She'd be more than happy after the new year to, to show you that for 2006. Or if you'd like more detail, we'll go through all of it with you. If you want to make an appointment with her, you can see anything in, in the books. We, we, we want to make that open and available. Uh, but I say that to say that we don't like have business meetings and we don't make it really a part of the natural flow of the church because we don't ever want that to be a focus. But it is there. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes I think we forget about it. Because we don't make it a focus, then it becomes something that people just totally forget about. And we don't want to do that either because there's needs. There's needs in the community. There's outreaches that we do. There's missions. There's just, you know, expense needs that the church has, budgetary needs. And there's needs within the church. And so when you're giving, you're saying, yeah, I I want to help with those needs. I, I want to help the poor within the church or the poor in the community. Or I want to help support the gospel being spread throughout the whole world. It's an awesome thing. It's a great way for you to be a part of what God's doing. And know this, is that God notices. It doesn't matter if anyone else notices, but God notices. And it means a lot to Him. Whether you give a dollar or hundreds and thousands of dollars. It warms the heart of God when He sees His people giving to things of the kingdom. It blesses Him. And we do it because of what He did for us. That's our motive. It's an outflow of His grace and His love for us. That's it. That's the bottom line. It should never be for any other reason. Let's stand and pray together.
Lord, as we talked about these things this morning, God, I pray that um, that you would have just been speaking to our hearts personally. And that, Lord, we would just have hearts to give. To give back to you because of what you did for us. And that, Lord, it wouldn't be by compulsion. It wouldn't be because we think we have to or that we're trying to gain favor with you. But, Lord, we would just be giving just out of a joyful heart of response to your great love for us. And, Lord, I do pray for each one here. I know that that some are struggling financially, Lord. That some just aren't doing well in that area. And I pray for your provision. Lord, I pray that they could just begin to find it within the little they have to give something to you. And that, God, you would bless them for that. That you would provide above and beyond anything they could ever ask or think. Lord, I pray for provision for the missionaries that we support and the ministries that we're a part of, the outreaches that we do, and and just your support for this ministry here in general. God, you would just support and provide for this church in miraculous ways as you always have, God, as we've just trusted you. We just lay all of our needs, Lord, at your feet this morning. God, give us giving hearts. Give us generous hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's close in song, you guys.